Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC Bearcat basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins, and I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. You can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. The Bearcat ba Basketball Podcast is presented by the Healthcare Management Group. Shout out to everyone at HCMG, and thank you for the support. Now, we're live here at Mio's in Clifton, and he's very excited. Like we appreciate that. I know, I like his attitude. I like his energy, look at that. Starting us off right. Shout out to, uh, if we can give a big round of applause for Kelly and Rich for making this happen. We can, um, <laughs> yep, shout out Kelly. I like her energy too. Yeah, you we see got, that? Yeah. Exactly, we got a, a great of, day. A lot of great energy in here. Uh-huh. Uh, also, shout out, if we can have a round of applause, to Stu and Colin, our support staff, who make all this happen as well. Now, this is the last regular season home game for the Bearcats. Uh, we've been here all year for regular season basketball games. So far, we've had Keith Greger, Deontay Bond, Zach Tobler, Corey Blunt, Art Long, Donald Little, Yancey Gates, Andre Tate, Tony Bobbitt, A.D. Jackson, James White, Roger McClendon, and we did a fan podcast. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Spotify, and also our YouTube channel. Now, Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in this former Bearcat great. He played for the Bearcats from 2009 to 2013 under Mick Cronin. He is a big time fan favorite and one of the best guards to wear the red and black. I'd like to welcome in, straight from Savannah, Georgia, number one, my guy, Kashmir Wright. Man, I love that announcement. Look at you. <laughs> a lot of energy here I for you, see. man. It, it, yeah. I'm talking a, about you. That, it's that a packed a house one. in here for you, man. Yeah. All right, I appreciate it. Uh, Cash, tell everyone out here what you're up to these days, what you're doing work-wise, and about your family. Uh, right now, I work at Clark Montessori teaching 7th and 8th grade uh, with Miss Natalie over there. Nat Coyle? Also, I coach high school basketball at Clark Montessori. Uh, also following the footsteps of um, Alex over here with AAU, with One Vision Elite. Uh, so just doing a lot, just giving back with basketball for these kids. So let's talk about coaching, okay? So this is your first year yep. as a head varsity coach here in Cincinnati. How's that experience been like so far? Um, it's been learning. <laughs> it's, it's been a learning experience, but it's been fun. Um, I got a lot of great kids, a lot of great coaches that's with me, and a lot of great people at that school that support me. Uh, so it, it's been a lot of great learning experience for me, and I think I've gotten better over time. What's been the biggest transition going from a player to a coach for you? Uh, I think the hardest one would be um, you can't physically go out there and play. Yep. So you, you kind of just, you know, you, you can tell them things, but you can't physically go out and do it. And I'm so used to just doing, grabbing a ball and showing you myself. Okay, this is how you do it. This is what you need to be done. And they just don't get it like that. So just learning how to be more of a, a, a better communicator. 
So do you think that's why they say that high-level players like a Michael Jordan and some of those guys don't make great coaches because they can't get out there and do it and they expect everybody to do it like they did it? Exactly. And lack of patience. <laughs> you have to have a lot of patience exactly. working with high school patience. kids. Hey. Now, now, you being a, a point guard, a great point guard for the Bearcats, how has that helped you as a coach? Because basically a guard is an extension of the coach, and you were an extension of Mick Cronin for your time here. Oh, yeah. So that, that's helped me a lot. It's helped me. Um, he, he's basically shown me the blueprint of how you need to coach and how you need to prepare and things like that. So I've taken what he's taught me along with the things I learned overseas and basically trying to impl implement them into the, how I coach as a part right now. Yeah. And, and we're going to jump into your career. We're going to talk about your high school career, college, obviously, a little bit overseas, and talk about this current Bearcat basketball team with head coach Wes Miller. But I, wanna, I do want to talk about your family, if you want to talk about how the family's doing. Oh, my family's doing great. Um, I got three kids. My daughter's turned 13. Um, she, right now, is a gymnastics star. Really? She's a star. Where did she get that from? That I have you? no idea because I, I can't. I'm scared of heights. I can't flip anything. So I don't know where that comes from. But she's a star. Uh, my four-year-old son loves basketball. So that's CJ. So he's a junior. Okay. That's all he wants to do is play basketball every day, all day long. Uh, and Cruz it's my three-year-old. What's, what's his name? Cruz. Cruz. Like C-R-U-Z Cruz. Okay, yeah. Cruz. I like that. Where did you get that name from? You got to ask his mom. I, oh, okay. That wasn't my choice. She said I got to pick the first kid, so she got the second one. Okay, all right. So I didn't even have a choice on that. But as we talk about that, let's talk about your name, Kashmir. How did that come about? How did you get the name? Because that you, you don't hear many people with the name Kashmir. Okay. So, so there's a lot of different stories. But my mom said that she was watching a show and that – the name was somebody on the show. It was like this famous guy, and he was like, uh, he only came on a certain amount of times, but she loved, she fell in love with the name. So she always knew that she was gonna name her child Cashmere. But we never found that show. You don't know the show? She don't know the show, nobody ever found it. She might have made it up. I, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it at all. So have you ever met anyone else named Cashmere, like in person? Um, uh, no, no, not me. Matter of fact, no, no, I met a girl named Kashmir. Really? Yep, so it was a girl. Um, so she lived in, I want to say, um, Georgia. Yeah, so she's well, from, from Georgia. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, I haven't met much Kashmir's. Well, and I always, I've always thought this, you know, having a unique name like you do, it kind of makes you stand out a little bit more, and it makes you feel like you're a little more special than other people. Um, well, you quick, feel that way? A quick story about that. So growing up, I always was called Akeem, right? You were called what? Akeem. So my family calls me Akeem. If you're from Savannah, you call me Akeem, right? So I've never heard this. Okay. okay. So my AAU coach said, there's a thousand Akeems. There's not many Kashmir's. He was like, which one do you think a coach will remember, Akeem or Kashmir? And it, and it worked. It, it basically, once you start rolling with that and start actually telling people my real name, people start to remember it because like you say, there's not many people. No. So once you see me and you're going to remember the name because there's not a lot of us. Well, not many of us at all. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing about you is during your time playing for the Bearcats, you wore number one. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there were a lot of players before you that wanted to wear number one and they didn't let them. 
Yeah, there, there's, there's, so Dermar Johnson wanted to wear number one, and they wouldn't let him. Guess who the other person was that wanted to wear number one? Ooh. Me. They, you know what they told me? They told me when I came onto the Bearcats as a walk-on, of course, I'm the lowest man on the totem pole, rightfully so. I wanted to wear number one, and they said, you can't because Oscar wore number one in practice. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow, <laughs> like, I get it. He's the GOAT. <laughs> But man, I couldn't wear it, and Dermar couldn't. You wore it though. So tell us the origin of wearing number one. Okay, so when I was at Urban Christian, my favorite number is 10. All right, so I always wore 10 growing up. And uh, so when, we, when I went to high school, I transferred to a prep school, and the guy who wore number 10, he passed away. So they retired the number. So then I had to find a new number. Uh. So then it was like, okay, well, either 11 or one. And I was like, I'll take one. And, and it kind of worked out. I, I loved it. But I always wish that I could have worn number 10, looking back at it, though. Sure. Let, let, let's, talk, let's dive into your high school career. Uh, you, you mentioned it just a second ago. You played for the Urban Christian Academy. Yep. The name of it. Uh, you played there. Um, talk to us a little bit about your high school career. My high school career was great. Um, uh, as a ninth grader, I think I averaged, what, 30 points. Um, as a ninth grader? Yeah. So, well, you got to think about it. I was in prep school. Okay. So, I went to a real live basketball school. Like, yeah. we, we played basketball mostly the day. No, no so, classes? I mean, no we class. had classes. <laughs> <laughs> but we were there to play basketball. Yeah, and and sure. the coaches let you know that. So, you know, pretty much, uh, most people don't realize this. I committed to Clemson my 10th grade year. Yep. So, I was originally going to Clemson. And then, um, Coach Davis who recruited me when he was at, Fur at Furman University, hit my ninth grade year. He was the first coach that ever recruited me. So my mom was more so familiar with him, so when he got the job at Cincinnati, he was like, she was more so like, I want you to go there. I want you to be with him because that's who I, I feel more comfortable with you being around. So that's how that came about. Well, let me make sure I get down to the exact detail of that. You're talking about former Bearcat assistant coach Larry Davis. Yep who worked with Mick Cronin, under Mick Cronin, during his time here, and, and he was at Furman before, yep. and he was recruiting you there. So, um, now, let, let's, I wanna dive into, you know, as a sophomore, okay, you're, you're being recruited. Yep. Uh, now, during your high school career, besides Clemson, you opened the recruiting back up, at what point? Um. Uh, beginning of my junior year. Beginning of your junior year. What were some of the schools that recruited you? Uh, my t I think my, my top ten was Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Florida State, um, uh, Gonzaga, uh, shoot, Oklahoma State, uh, Georgia, Wake Forest, uh, Clemson still, uh, Florida, uh, South Carolina, uh, Marshall. Dang. Um, so, a uh, quick tip about this. Uh, so, Kimball Walker, I think I told you about this. Uh, so, me and Kimball Walker was uh, in the same recruiting class. And he came down, his top two were Cincinnati and Connecticut. Yep, I remember so that. So, basically speaking, whatever college that he didn't choose was the college that I was going to go to. So, it was my last two came down to Connecticut and Cincinnati. And when he chose Connecticut, I ended up coming to Cincinnati. But I was going to a Big East school, and that was my thing. I wanted to play in Massacre Garden, and that's what I was going to stick with. And I think that was a big part of a lot of, you know, young people that were looking at a Cincinnati. To go play in the Big East was a really big deal. That's right. And the best conference at that time in America. That's right. 
So uh, let, let's talk about, you know, you, you came to UC. Um, let's talk about your first year. Let's talk about what happened your first year. Are we talking about like my red shirt year with yes, Lance? Yes, yes. 2008, <laughs> okay. 2008, 2009. No, 2009. Oh, my first year I tore my ACL. Yes, that's what I want to so talk about. My first year I made it through all the summer workouts, all, all the like the, uh, what was it called back then? What was the league called? Uh, summer League, the Devereaux? The Devereaux League. Yep. I played in the Devereaux League and I made it past the, the March Madness we had and I got to the first official practice. And I tore my ACL literally the last drill of the of on the uh, first day of opening day. Wow. Now, now have you have you had a major injury prior to that? Well, the irony in that is I tore my ACL again seven years later the same day. Wow. Wow. And, and that's what ended my playing career. So same day. So let's let's go back. Okay. So you you tear your ACL here. You know you're going to be finished for the season. You're going to redshirt. How was that mentally for you, knowing you were probably going to come in and, and play right away, right. and now you can't at all? How was that mentally for you? Uh, mentally, that part was the hardest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. Uh, most people don't realize this. I, I went to Cronin multiple times and tried to transfer, like literally tried to leave, um, because I went from never being hurt, like I never got hurt before I got here, to my first injury was like, I'm done. So it was, it was like one of them things where I felt like my life was crumbling. So I wanted to go home to get away from all the pressure and, and all the things that I thought that was up here. But happy it didn't happen, happy I stayed, and just like uh, happy with how things turned out. So what, what got you to stay? Uh, my, my mom and my dad told me I couldn't come home. Good. Yeah, basically speaking. My dad said, there ain't no, uh, we already changed your room to a, 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 fitness, a fitness room. <laughs> so there wasn't no more bed for me. Yeah, that, that good parenting. I'm, I'm glad they decided that. And I'm sure you are as well. Me too. I'm so um, how was it? And I, and I asked, I've talked to Sean Kilpatrick before because, you know, he redshirted one year. And I talked to him about this. I was like, what was it like to sit on the bench during a game? We're losing or it's a close game and we need a big shot. And you're capable of making that big shot, that big play. And for you being on the bench, being a guard, you're capable of making that big play to help us win. How tough was that to sit there and watch games knowing you could help? Um, <laughs> to put it, put, it quite, put it quite lightly, uh, I spent a lot of days crying. Yeah. Like, like to be totally honest with you. Yep. Uh, I spent a lot, a lot of days coming back to the dorm room just, just in tears because I couldn't believe and I felt like it was over. Like, you know, many people don't come back, especially in 2009, it was a long injury. Not like it is now. So I felt like it was just, everything was just crumbling for me, to be honest. Yeah. So what do you think between your red shirt uh, first year to the, you know, your actual first season playing, what kind of got you over the hump? When did your mindset just like click and go, all right, I'm good? Um, well, once I was able to actually play again. So, you know, about seven, eight months later, once you get on the court and you actually feel yourself, you know, shoot the ball, yeah. dribble up and down the court, and it's no pain or it's no restrictions like that, that's when I actually felt like, oh, okay, it's not as bad as I thought it was. Because at first I thought it was, like I said, I thought it was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Were you, were you super nervous? And I've been through a knee injury, but were you super nervous when you got back on the court that 
I won't be the same guy. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I ever really became as explosive as I was when I first got here. And a lot of that part was wow. a lot of that was to do with the fact that I didn't really train to be explosive anymore because I was afraid once you train in that way, then I was probably was the reason why I got hurt in the first place. Mm. So how did you train then moving forward? So I did a lot less weights and a lot more like body weight stuff. And then they changed my diet plan. It, it was just a lot more changing going on than when I first got here. And that's another thing, Cash. I think that, you know, allowing fans to kind of get an inside look at what goes through high division one athletics. You know, you talk about how important, the, you know, the nutrition, conditioning your body. It's more than just making a jump shot. Yeah. In a game, am I right? Yes, that's that's to put it lightly, um, but but you know once you get older you realize how important those things are. Uh, like I said, when I first got here I had no clue, uh, but nu nutrition, actually being in the weight room, actually conditioning your body, actually being mentally ready, not sleepy, actually resting, that that's the most important stuff that you kind of look over as you're in the process of getting better. You know, of being a basketball player, you don't really look at those things. Yeah, and and I think. You know, guys now, you look at like a LeBron James, a Steph Curry, a Kevin Durant. I think those guys are great ambassadors for our game, especially for young people, because you hear LeBron always talking about how important sleep is for him and getting that rest he needs. And, you, you know, you hear from the Kevin Durant of how hard he works skill-wise and putting the time in, because Kevin Durant made a shot, I think it was last year, and everyone was talking about how great of a shot that is, and he goes... I've done that 20,000 times in the gym in the offseason. This is nothing new, right? Yep. I mean, in that type of stuff, like, I don't, you know, people see the product on the court but don't see what goes on behind right. the closed door. And you as a coach now, I mean, you see that every day. Yeah, exactly. You hear about it. I've, I've been trying to tell the kids, basically, man, you know, you can tell me a lot. You know, you can say a lot out your mouth, but your actions gonna going to show me what you do. Um, so if you actually are in the gym, you actually are putting in the work, it's going to show. Right. It, it has nothing to do with whether, you know, whether you're my favorite player or whether you're not. If you, got, if you are putting in the work, the work will show. Yeah. And, and that's what anything. If you're willing to put in the time, you're gonna, you can achieve anything, to be honest with you. Yeah, no question. Okay, so let's talk about the 2009-2010 season, which is your first year actually playing. And um, some of the guys you played with, uh, Lance, Yancey, Dion. Deontay, your first year, you guys were 19 and 16. How was the first year for you? It started off good, um, but looking back at it, I would say that probably was the most talented team that I pl ever played with. Wow. By far. Wow. Uh, and that team made it to the NIT, which was crazy enough. I know. Right? So Lost to Dayton that year. Yeah. And we came back and smacked Dayton by 30 the next year. <laughs> yeah. But I felt like uh, we just had too much going on. Um, with Lance, you got Lance, you have Rashad Bishop basically playing the same position. Um, it, it was just rough. Um, me, Deontay, playing the same position. Uh, so it, it was a lot going on on that team where the chemistry issues were just not there. But the talent was there. And I just felt like we, we just couldn't figure out how to make it all work. But by far the best, the most talented team I've ever been a part of. Yeah. And now, now that I think about it, I mean, you averaged five points a game that year. Yeah. That had to be your lowest output of your career. Like, by far. By far, right? By far. <laughs> so, that, I mean, that means there's a lot of talent on that team. And one of the toughest things to do in basketball, and always, you know, think about Phil Jackson and what he talks about, and that is blending personalities together 
and players and get them to buy into one team goal. That's right. It's especially when everybody, when we're in college and everybody's goal is to get to the NBA yep. or, or make money, it's kind of become a hard thing because you got every kid is thinking for themselves to a point. And at that time, the, the leadership that we had really wasn't wasn't there to put everybody in this in the space they needed to be in. So it, it was just a long season, to be honest with you. But once again, one of the most talented teams I've yeah, No question. Now, going through that, a lot of times when you go through situations that are struggles, it makes you better. Yep. Do you feel like that made you a better player? And you looked at, hey, next year, you know, we may not have great leadership right now, but I'm going to really take it upon myself to become a great leader for this basketball program. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it drove me all summer, to be honest with you, because I came here with a goal to, to, to bring it back. You know, we needed to be back in the tournament. We needed yep. to be back where we, where we belong, and that was the goal. And I felt like my first year I kind of let everybody down because I wasn't able to, to help us attain that goal. So the next year, back up. So Lance Stevenson, by far, to me, helped me because he has the, was one of the best um, workouts or, or, like, how he worked in the gym was by far the best I've ever seen, wow. like, personally. Wow. Like, I, I've seen him in the gym 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, like, all day just there. And you, you kind of see that that's the difference in players. Like, if that's the reason why he's successful because he puts in that work to be successful and a lot of people just talk about that work but he put in that work and it showed me that man if he can do it I can do it yeah and, and you know basically the proof is in the pudding that's what I started doing started changing my uh, game how I work out the times I work out and things like that and it's also just changed my mindset now where do you get your leadership skills from because I want to tell you as I watched you play through your career here with the Bearcats one of I think the greatest things that you brought was you had a calming influence over the team. Like, I always felt if the ball was in Cashmere's hands, everything was good. You were calm with it. You never got sped up. Where does, and, and that plays into leadership. Yep, uh, so it, it, plays in, it plays into preparation though. Uh, a, a lot of that is just understanding what's going on. Like, see, I got a team full of scores. I can't be the one that's rushing everybody. I, I, yep. I got, somebody has to be calm. If in, in a game full of chaos, somebody has to be, you know, put everybody in place, like I said earlier. And I just learned over time that in order for us to be successful as a team, somebody had to do that job. And everybody not going to like you to do it. Believe me, I got in a lot of fights, a, a lot of arguments with, with, with teammates. Yeah. But they respected me and the fact that they knew that, that I was going to put the work in and I was going to tell you how I felt, regardless of how you feel about it. And most times I was right about how I felt. And that's tough because... Sometimes you'll find that some leaders want to be loved by everyone, and that's not always the case because you got to tell them the truth. It's impossible. I think it's impossible. It's impossible to be liked by everybody. So, uh, talking about your, uh, you know, your next season, the 2010-2011 season, um, you go from the year before, which you talked about the most talented team, that record-wise wasn't the best, 19 and 16, lost to Dayton in the NIT come back the next year you put in the work you guys finished 26 and 9 so there was a huge change and at one point you guys won a 15 game uh, winning streak blew out Xavier so things seemed to be going pretty well for you yep. during that season oh um, that, that was the best season well not yeah. the best season but that, that's it translated to what I was talking about um, 
I became a leader. I became a person that actually was fond with, with telling people what to do and, and not caring about what you felt. Um, we as a team grew up. You know, after you get smacked in the NIT by Dayton and you got Lance Stevenson on your team, it just looks bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're on TV and they're talking about us and things like that. And then when you go really go back and how we lost to West Virginia at the buzzer. Yep. And it yep. was a lot of things in that season that drove us to be successful. And we had a mindset from the first day, matter of fact, from the summertime, that we were going to be good and that we were going to make the tournament. There was nothing that nobody else could have told us, regardless of what the league was going to happen. But we knew that people was going to have to beat us. Yeah, for sure. And, and you talk about the year before being so talented. But I even think this, that particular season we're talking about, with you, uh, Dion, Sean Kilpatrick, Yancey, and I think the main glue guy being Justin Jackson. That's my guy. Right? I mean, you guys had, it seemed like, great team chemistry. Yep. Now, look, this is a great question for you here that I want to ask. And at what point was it this season that you felt comfortable that you didn't have to look at Mick Cronin, that you could run the show, and Mick felt comfortable with you doing your thing? Um... Because I felt, wait a minute, let me, let me say this real quick. Because I felt a lot of guys turned and looked at Mick a lot during the game. But I felt like you hit a point where you did not. What, well, you know what, though? Um, it, it came back from, you know, I got great parents. Yep. Uh, so after my first year, they said the same thing to me. They say every time you make a mistake, you turn and look at him. Every time you make a bad pass, you turn and look at him. Yep. And it was like, I need you to stop. Like, re regardless of what happens, you have to play, you have to be yourself. And then I just learned from just having conversations with Cronin, you know, I knew what he wanted. So once I learned what he wanted, it was easy for me to do it. But at first, you know, he wasn't the easiest to talk to. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you know, when he recruited you, he's one way. Then when you got here, it was like, it was a totally different person. Right. So it took me a year to kind of get used to the yelling, get used to all this stuff. And by the second year, I pretty much tooled him out. Yeah. So he, he might have been yelling, but I wasn't hearing it because <laughs> I knew at the end of the day, what you want us to do is win. And if we win, then, you, you know, he, he quiets down. He, he stops all that chirping. For sure. Yep. And he trusted you. Oh. He trusted you. And, and, and when, I, when I was playing, I think a guy that was like you for us was Kenyon Martin because at one point, Kenyon was like, Coach, I got this. Like, let me. And, and Kenyon wasn't our point guard, <laughs> obviously, but he was the main centerpiece. But Hugs didn't have to, like, tell him Kenya never looked at hugs he's like I got this yep and you were that same for Mick Cronin uh was there any memorable game for you um that year that that 20 2010 2011 season because you guys were kind of up wait, and wait, down wait, with Big the, East play. is that the year we lost to uh UConn yes in the NCAA tournament yep. you guys lost to UConn that year so, so that's what sticks out to me yeah yeah we lost to UConn and I felt like um not, not to say that they were better than us, but they got a lot of favorable calls. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I felt like that, that game could have changed a lot of our lives if it yep. if went, if went differently. Uh, because, of course, they went on to win a national championship. Yep. And it was like we actually played them the closest out of everybody in the tournament. So it showed that year that we were so much better than a lot of people believed. And, and a lot of people even realized how good we were. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you what. That year, 
the run that UConn had, just the play of Kemba was unbelievable from the tip of the NCAA tournament to the last game, or even the Big East yeah, tournament. The Big East tournament was, he, was wow. Wow. It was wow. He, yeah, he definitely was incredible. But to your point, that showed what you guys were capable of, and who knows what would have happened if you beat exactly. UConn in the tournament. Exactly. You hate to think about what ifs, but <laughs> um, okay. So then let's jump to the next year. We're talking about 2011, 2012. You guys finished 26 and 11. Once again, you, Kilpatrick, Dion, Yancey, Jaquan Parker, Justin. Man, just a great group. High expectations, but you guys lose to Presbyterian early. Talk about that. Okay. While we talk about the worst games, that that Presbyterian loss was all my fault, though. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was your fault? Okay, I want to hear this. Go ahead. Okay. So I had – I was averaging, I want to say, what, um, 13, 14 points or something like that, and I literally had two points the whole game. Like, Sean was getting torched by, that, well, I think, number 23 on, on, on Presbyterian. Uh -huh. It was, like, one of the worst games. Like, leaders-wise, we brought them out there so flat because we didn't think that we, would, we was capable of losing to Presbyterian. Yep. And, and, and that right there was the worst mindset we could have ever had, and that was the reason why we lost. We, we started off, we lost before the, before the ball even went up. I've often heard from really good teams that sometimes losing games like that early in the year help. Do you feel like that loss early in the year helped you guys get refocused? No. Uh, the fight changed it. So the fight at Xavier, that fight changed everything. Because what happened was um, Cronin started, he changed the offense. So at first we was running an offense, everything all was ran through Yancey. Yep. And then he changed it and he made all the guards. We was able to shoot, we was able to dribble the ball a lot more. So it became more of a freestyle offense when he started actually letting us play. First micromanaging everything. So it, that's what changed, to be honest with you. I mean, the fight was a bad deal. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it was the changing part in our year. Well, let, let's take a deep dive into that because after the fight, Yancey was suspended for six games. Six games. In the next game, you guys go and play Wright State. That's right. Right? And played a hell of a game yeah. versus Wright State. And showed, like you said, he changed the offense. It showed what you guys were capable of. So that means when Yancey comes back, you guys are just going to be that much better. Exactly. But it all hinged on him buying into what we, what we was doing. And all credit to him because when he came back, he never really argued. He never, he never like, you know, you know how it goes. Oh, I know. He, he I never know. really said, you know, step on anybody's toes. I want the ball. I want the ball. He was more so like, keep doing what y'all doing. We gonna make it work. And then, and that we just took off from there, because now we realize we got the big dog with us, and, and he ain't fighting it. He kind of want us to be successful. So it's like we we ready now. Yeah. So okay, we got to talk about the fight. So I had. I had Yancey here on the podcast, and he talked about the fight. And of course, his insight uh, for the fight's crucial. But I, I've never really took a deep dive with you into the fight. So talk about your role. Like, what were you doing on the court? You saw this coming. Okay. Well, I didn't see it coming. But, I mean, you know those games. That, that's that, that's Tennessee Xavier yeah. game. It's, it's a tough one. So when you, when you really look at the game, we got blew out by 30. 
right? Yep. So we really lost that game really, really bad. So it was a, a mental thing where the freshmen that we had, so you had Lajilons and, and the Jermaines, you know, they were arguing, you know, they were getting chippy. So then it became a bigger, a bigger thing than what it really was because, you know, the tents, uh, you know, is the, the drilling is already high in the building. Right. So any false thing that happens, it's, it's, it's ready. Yep. So once it happened, like once the fight, I mean, once the ball hit each other and they actually get together, if you actually go back and look at it, I'm standing right next to Yancey and I'm standing in front of Freeze and I just could not believe what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, to be honest, I'm like, what in the, like, what, the, what is this? Right. And then like, it was like one of those surreal moments in your life that when you look at it on TV, it, it, it took a lot longer than in real time, it happened so fast. And then what people really don't realize is we actually got in a fight with each other when we came back, when we got in the locker room because Yancey was upset with the freshman. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm your guy. We the leader, and you guys put me in that position where we got to do this and we got to do that. And it was just like, it was just a bad, it was a bad situation. But I think the way that Cronin handled it and the way that we came back was, 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 uh, meant a lot, to be honest with you. I, and I, I think Mick did a fantastic job with how he handled everything, like you were saying. But let's talk about in the locker room, what was Mick saying to you guys after all that had gone down? Well, well basically, he was just saying that if that's how we're going to be as people, then we, we shouldn't be wearing the Cincinnati jerseys. If, if we're going out there, you know, he want us to fight, but we're talking basketball terms fight. Yeah. You know, he wasn't talking about, like, UFC fight. For sure. And he's like, if that's the mindset that we're going to have as people, then he don't want us here. And basically, he just stressed that, like, you know, that, that won't be, that won't be, we don't want that here. So if yeah. you guys need to change, and we need to change as people and, and as a team, but that can't happen again. And then he took everything away from us. So basically, this. he kicked us out the locker room. Uh, we moved down to like the, uh, you know, the, the volleyball <laughs> locker room downstairs. Yep. Uh, so it was a big change. So it, it just showed us that, you know, it's good to have fight, you know, as, as an athlete. But at the end of the day, you got to be controlled and understand what's going on. Because, you know, that, that shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have went down like that. But it did. And we all grew up and, and uh, got better because of it. Now, when you, the last question about the fight, but when you were actually in the middle of it, did you think you were going to have to punch somebody? No, listen. So you always got to be prepared. Always be prepared. Uh, you always got to be prepared. But what I realized is, so I'm right next to Yancey. So I realized if I'm right next to Yancey, ain't nobody coming over here. <laughs> nobody nobody messing with Yancey. No, nobody was coming, nobody was coming over there. Oh. So. Yeah, Free shouldn't have messed. He shouldn't have walked towards Yancey. Yeah. I, I still think the kick was worse. The what? The, the Sheck moved. I think that the oh. kick. I, I, <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. I think. The, yeah. Yeah. See, I think the kick was worse. Man. So okay. So let's let's go past the fight. You guys beat Wright State, starting to come together as a team a little bit more, playing without Yancey. Uh, Yancey comes back. Um, going into the NCAA tournament, what was your guys' mindset? Because you guys are primed and ready to make a big run in the tournament. That's right. So when we, when we first got the matchups, so, you know, everybody, when the matchups come out, you look at them and yep. you're like, oh, okay, who we got? So when we saw it, we like, okay, we got Texas. Texas is young. So, they, you know, we, we, we really felt 
that there was no young team going to be able to beat us. Yep. Like, there was nobody more experienced and had more talent. You know, we had a better big, we had a better guard, so we felt that Texas was just too young to play with us. Yep, agreed. So, so we came out over, you know, confident to win that game, and then the best game was the next game, which was that Florida State game, mm-hmm. and, and that was just a dog fight. Um, I think the score like ended in like the 40s or mm-hmm. the 50s. Uh, so that was just one of those games where uh, any mistake you made, the other team was just gonna capitalize on it. Uh, probably one of the most in, in um, um, like hard-nosed playing games I've played in ever. Really? Be- because they left it all out there and we left it all out yeah. there. And, and to actually get a win, it meant even more. So that was that. And then after making it to the Sweet 16 and playing Ohio State was the worst. It was. It, okay. It, it, it was the worst. Diving it out. Because... Everybody has this mindset like like um, Ohio, the Ohio State. Yeah. I dislike Ohio State. Like, I'm, like I'm don't right like there them with at you. all. Right, exactly. So that game to me was like everything. Because, you know, we had so much built up, and we was looking forward to playing them, and we felt like they were dodging us because we tried to play them in the offseason. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the, in the regular season, yep. they didn't want to play us. So we felt like they were dodging us. Uh-huh. So we were ready to go. And, and it, we just didn't like how the game ended. But for the most part, it, it was like, it was a good game. But looking back at it, there was a lot of things that we could have did differently. I felt to change it. Do you guys, so let's, let's dive into that. Going into big games, and I think back to uh, the teams I was on, and when we would have big games, sometimes we would be a little too excited. You know, we'd be too pumped up. You know, how are you guys going in Ohio State, like the locker room? I mean, were you guys too pumped up? Were you... Felt like you had the right mindset? I mean, I, I felt like we had the right mindset. Everybody was calm. We were ready to go. And, and just a lot of things in games, sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way. That's true. Sometimes shots just don't go in. They usually go in. And we felt like that's what happened. There's a lot of, a lot of players on that team that just didn't meet their scoring output that they usually do or, or make the same amount of shots that they usually do. So it was a lot of things that just factored us not having the game that we wanted to. Yeah. But we were ready. Yeah. So, and listen, but at the end of the day, I think, I think Bearcat Nation and the fans were definitely proud of you guys, uh, the season you guys had, the way you guys bounced back. Um, and then now looking into the 2012-2013 season, and I want to ask you this question. Did you play any season? Did you feel that you were 100% healthy at any point? <laughs> No, so uh, the healthiest I was was the beginning of my senior season, uh, and that was before I, I hurt, got hurt again yeah. in the DePaul game. Yeah. But that was the first time that I say I, w- I was at close to 100%. But it, it was just rough for me. Uh, I, I dealt with a lot of knee injuries. Uh, then I got the shoulder injury. Like, the funny part is I broke the school record in steals with one arm. Yeah, it's crazy. So it, it, it was kind of weird. So, um I had a couple games, I was 100, but I never really actually got a chance to show everybody what 100% really looks like. Right, and, and that's stuff you can't control. Like, no. you can't control, you know, those major injuries that, that happen. Uh, but, but looking at the senior year, your last year, you guys uh, finished 12, uh, 22 and 10. Um, once again, playing with Kilpatrick, 
Uh, Titus Rubles. Oh my God. A lot of people forget about Titus. Uh, I I love Titus, man. I I was a big. You want to talk about Titus? But, a little but bit? people don't remember Titus was a what's a JUCO player of the year. Uh huh. Titus came in like he was a big help because Titus came in ready to go. Yeah. Like you didn't have he didn't have a learning curve where you got to teach him this or teach him that. Veteran. Titus came in ready to go. Yeah. And, and like anything you needed him to do, he was ready. Like, yep. Like, Titus, I, I need you to screen this guy. I need you to play the five. I need you to guard the three. All he always said was, all right, yep. I, I got it. Yep. And it was like, man, I love that guy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I was a big fan of uh, Titus. Uh, Justin Jackson, yeah. uh, Shaq, yeah. uh, Jaquan Parker. Now, uh, that season you averaged uh, 13 points a game. Um, but, but I think one of the things about your, your senior year was you guys started the season off 12-0. and 0. Yeah. Yeah, so we started off really good. We went to Vegas. We won the champ. We won the uh, the Vegas championship. Uh, we came back, and I think our first loss was to uh, New Mexico State. Okay. Um, and that was gearing up right to um, to Big East season. So we did that. We lost to them. Then we beat Alabama. Okay. Uh, now I'm, I'm not letting you go past the Alabama game. Come on now. Let's talk about that Alabama game. So, close game, big game. The, the fifth, fifth Third Arena was electric that game. And I was fortunate enough that game, I was sitting down courtside and, I mean, we got to build up into the shot. Like, that, that had to be one of the biggest shots of your career. By far. By far. Yeah, by far. Let's talk about the build up. You want to talk about it? Uh, okay, the build up was... I was having a horrible game. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. All right. So I think before the shot, I had five points. Uh, I was two for 14. Um, so eh, it, it, it was a long game, to say the least, for me. Uh, but leading into it, like I say, I got great teammates, great coaches. Yep. And when you say that Cronin trusts me, that is a perfect example of him trusting me. Yep. Like, because I didn't make a shot all second half. But when he drew the play up, he put the ball in my hands. And he told me before I went out there, he said, you got it. And that's all I needed to hear. So I know Sean to hear this. And Sean think the play was originally for a handoff uh -huh. to Sean. But there was no way I was passing that ball. Right. So there was, there was no way. So it, it was one of them things. Like, I felt like um, I owed it to them. As, as a leader of that team, I owe it to them because they played so hard and I played so bad. That this was my time to be to be that guy, and, and when I when I took the shot, even though I couldn't see it, well, let's 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 talk about the read. So you've got the ball in the hand, and, and how'd you determine this is the shot I'm going to take? What was the read on that play for you? Well, my mind was blank, so there, there wasn't really a, a a mindset on what shot I was going to take. Okay, I just knew I had to get the ball up, so I knew. Uh, he told me he said if you hit the pick and the big guy steps up and nobody helps. You know what you got to do. Yep. Right. So my mindset was, where on this? I know I love mid-range shots. So I say, where on the court can I get as much space as possible to shoot over him? Because if I stop and shoot, he's gonna block it because he's taller than me. Yep. So my only thing that I could do was a fadeaway. So when I bumped him a little bit, he got a little bit off balance, which gave me a little bit of space, and I was able to actually fadeaway shoot the ball over his hands. And then what people don't realize is I fell down. So I never saw the ball actually go in the rim. Mm. All I did was hear people start screaming. And then by the time I looked up, my, my teammates were already on me. So it was like the best shot of my life. I actually really never seen the ball go in. So there was an image 
right after the game of the picture of you fading away shooting the basketball. Do you have that picture in a frame oh, yeah. in your place? You oh, yeah. have to have that picture. Oh, yeah. Because I think it was like, uh, my mom said it was like, uh, it barely went over his fingertips uh -huh. to, to, make, to, uh, to get over. Like, barely. And like I said, I, I didn't see it. So I couldn't see the actual ball. I just knew that I released it high as I could. Yep. And I pushed it. And I was like, that's all I knew. Yep. So, you know, it, it was one of them things. I'm blessed, you know, blessed to say the least that it actually, actually went in. So it was one of those moments for me that I'll never forget. So with that shot, I mean, you, you said you didn't shoot the ball very well, you know, beforehand. So did the confidence to shoot that and know you were going to make it come from Mick basically telling you, like, hey, you got this, right? Yeah. It, 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 it came from all of them. Like, my, my teammates, they always said it. Like, no matter what, what was going on, like, they always kept me, shoot the ball. Yeah. But whatever happened, we don't care. Shoot the ball. Yep. And it just, you know, it, when, you, when people breathe that type of energy in you, you know, you can't help but believe it. So they made me more confident than I really was. So when it came to that moment, I was confident to know that I could get it done for them. And it was just like, I've, you know, I, I got a lot of um, what I would feel like game-winning shots here. And I just always felt like they, they believed in me, so that's what I'm supposed to do. And it wasn't like a fear of missing. It was more so like a fear of letting them down. Yeah, yep, yep. So what was it like walking around campus, like the, with the next day or, or the Monday of? Like, what was that like? People, everybody like, Cash, Cash, you the I, man. Well, it was surreal, yeah. to, to be honest with you. I, I think when I walked in class, my, my professor said something to me. It, 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 was, it was a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, you had the ESPN interview. Uh, I was on top ten um, for Sports, Sports Center. Center. Mm -hmm. it, it was just a lot. And, you know, when you get all these people talking about it, and I'm from a small city in Savannah, so oh, I'm not man. used to that. So, you know, you're getting all this attention about one shot. And then when you think about it, 13 years later, however long later, people still talk about that shot. It's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, let's talk about the, uh, the end of your senior year. Uh, the NCAA tournament. I know that's a, a sore spot. First round loss to Creighton. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about that and what, what happened, what led to that. Um, I think, who, who was on Creighton that year? Was it? Um, Mick, uh, McDermott. 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 Okay. The coach's son, McDermott. Exactly. So yep. the, the real thing to me, what happened was um, I started off hot, and then I went back to a mindset of trying to pass the ball to everybody. And I don't think, looking back at that game, I don't think that was the right idea. I think I should have kept trying to score. Being aggressive Being offensively. Aggressive, and I should have did it a lot more. Uh, but defensively, uh, we was not ready for uh, not, not McDermott, yeah. but I think his name was like Grant or something like that. He was like number 33. Okay. Uh, he had, I want to say five or six threes. So he was the guy that actually killed us. Yeah. Not, not McDermott. Yeah. So it, it was bad, and especially because I went on record beforehand when we was in a term, we was in the same group with Duke and uh -huh. all these other teams, and I said that we were the best team there. And I meant that because I felt like we were going to ups. We were going to beat them. Sure. And then we was going to take care of the next team. And it just didn't work out like that. What was it like in the locker room? So it's your senior year. You, you guys lose. Your career wearing the red and black uniform is over. What was that moment like for you? Because different, different people have different 
you know, moments on their last game, emotion. Um, well, well, to me, it was bittersweet. Um, it was one of those things, like, I've, I've been here for five years. <laughs> uh, you know, back then, there wasn't no nil or anything like that, so he wasn't getting paid. Yep. So I, I was a little bit ready to actually, you know, start getting paid for actually playing basketball. Yep. You know, I had already had a daughter. My daughter was almost four. Okay. So, you know, it, it was time for me to actually move on into my next step of life. And, and I was excited for that. I mean, I was a little disappointed that I, it ended the way it ended and that I was over, but I was excited for the next step. I've heard this from several guys that played college basketball, played either overseas or in the NBA, and they said that there's nothing like the experience of playing college basketball. Oh, I think that, that ex I think the drilling that you get from the fans in the, in the stadium or in the arena, it's just next to none. And then, you know, most colleges, you know, it's, it's the atmosphere that you love that you will never get back. Because right. playing overseas or playing, it's just different. That, that's, you, yeah. you, can't, you, can't, you can't get the students back in the section. Yep. You can't get going back to school that next day in front of everybody. Yep. Like, you can't do that. that. That's the experience of college that I love. For sure. So let's talk about after your career. You know, you finish with the Bearcats. You go overseas and play. Yep, so my first year I went to um, uh, Holland. Okay. Uh, ended up winning the championship. I got uh, first team, all conference. Uh, so it was a great year. I, I, did, I accomplished a lot of things that I wanted to accomplish. Um, I'm, I still sit in a museum in Holland. Did you, can you believe that? You what? I'm in a museum in Holland. The Holland Museum. I'm in a Holland Museum. Okay, explain Listen, how that. So, so basically, they, they were fascinated with the name. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and basically, um, somehow or another, there was a, there was a real, real famous uh, artist, and he did like this photo shoot for me. And the photo shoot, I was shirtless, but the photo shoot <laughs> made it. It, <laughs> it, it did. Oh. But, Have but, these photos leaked? No, I got them. I got okay. them. Like, they online and everything. You can Google it. Okay. But I made it, and then a the man told me, he was like, yeah, uh, just so you know, it's going to be in the, in the Holland uh, Museum. Well, in the Groningen Museum. Wow. And I was like, that's how I felt. Wow. That's big time. <laughs> yeah, young kid from Savannah. So I was actually able to bring, I, they flew my mom over there. Really? Yep. So I actually got a chance to fly my mom out the country. Well, they flew my mom out the country. So that was an experience for me. Wow. That, you know, that I never thought that I would have. Actually getting the chance to actually take my mom to a whole other country, see her, show her a whole other life, way of living. Yeah. And things like that. It was just great for me. So your, your professional career, how long did you play? So I played uh, one year, no, I played one year in Groningen. Then I went to Greece, uh, played in Athens, and then I went to Poland, and then I signed a two-year deal with Holland again, and that's when I got hurt. So going that's into six, my, that's five. That's five? So I got hurt going into my fifth year. Okay. And then once you got hurt, were you like, it's a wrap? So, <laughs> so basically... They told me uh, the doctors over there are a little different. So he pulled me into the room and he had the MRI and he was like, uh, he was showing me the, the MRI. He was like, you see that right there? And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, you ain't got no more ACL. And I was like, oh. He was like, yeah, so. Um, hey, what you? <laughs> so he was like, uh, basically, 
you can continue to play basketball now, but by the time you're 32, 33, you're gonna need total knee replacement. Or you can stop playing basketball and live a normal life and, and, and just, you know, and do that. And I chose to live a normal life. I don't yeah. blame you on that. Yeah. I don't blame you on that. So you got a round of applause there. So you go from overseas um, and you move back to Cincinnati? Yep. So uh, my wife works at GE. So, so my wife works at GE. So basically, when I came back, it was like, oh, I had nowhere else to go. She was like, yeah, we coming back to Cincinnati. Okay. So that was that. And then from being here, I got a lot of great relationships. Yeah, absolutely. So I fell in love with coaching and things like that. So it, it just worked out for me. And now I just turned into my second home. Um, my, two, my two boys were born here. So they don't know any other life but Ohio. So you know, I feel like now I'm low-key like an Ohioan. So how do you want to call that? Isn't that crazy that, I mean, if, if you stay here, you will have lived longer in Cincinnati than you did Savannah. That's weird. Isn't that weird? It's weird. I've, I've, <laughs> I've got friends like that that have moved and lived longer in a different city, but still, home is home, right? Home will always be home. Well, I think the, I miss the weather. Oh. And I'm from Savannah now, so I'm used to, I'm used to 80s and, and 90s on Christmas. Oh, man. Are you, are you one of the most popular or famous athletes out of Savannah? Okay, so I think I was the first person in 20 years from Savannah to go to college, not go to JUCO, not oh, wow. any of those things. Listen, I was on the front of the, uh, you know how to do the newspaper? Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't on the front of the, the sports section, I was on the front of the newspaper. Because you- I was the first one to go. Wow. Now, now, another mindset, I graduated number one in my class. Wow. So, so, so not only, what people don't know is not only did I have uh, scholarships for basketball, I actually had scholarships to ed education. Wow. Which was kind of crazy. A lot of people don't know you that. Know? So you should be in the Savannah Museum too. So, so, so <laughs> okay, so my dad called me about that the other day. Uh, so the Savannah Hall of Fame, it starts, I have to be 35 to get in. Okay, how old are you? 32. 32. They're they, they going to change that. They're going to induct you right uh, away. I, I'm going to wait. Hey, how long it ever take? I'm fine with that. That's, that'll be a surreal moment for me, though. So, so, Cash, as you look back on your career with the Bearcats, how do you view your career? Um, I think I gave it everything I had. Um, I think I, I, I put everything I had into the court. I think I put everything I had into relationships. Um, it, it just meant a lot to me. Um, it, it changed my life for the, for the better. There's a lot of experiences that I wouldn't experience or I wouldn't overcome if I wouldn't have met the people I met here. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just forever thankful for the people that's here because, like I said, they, they changed my life for the better. And some people don't even realize how much they changed it. What was it like and what was your impression of playing for Mick Cronin? Uh, I think it's a lot better once I finish. <laughs> <laughs> As we say that, mix on the screen right there. Listen, uh, so, Good timing. Hey, I'm, so, you know, when you first get here, it's a lot of yelling. Yeah. It's, it's a, lot of, uh, a lot of swears, a lot of things. That man told me one time he was going to send me back home to work with my dad. Wow. You <laughs> so there's a lot of things that, that I realized when I got older. I was like, he was just trying to teach me 
X, Y, and Z. He was yeah. trying to help me be a better person. He was trying to help me be a better leader. Yeah. And I just didn't understand that until I left. Yeah. So it's one of those things, like you say, that I, when I left, I understood. I get it now. Like it, it made so much more sense. And that's, I think that's the part of college. You, you learn those things, right? Yep. You learn those tools that later on will pay off in life. And obviously they're paying off for you now. How much of what Mick Cronin taught you do you apply to coaching right now with Clark? A lot of it. A lot of it. A lot of it. So I'm, I'm big on defense. Uh, I believe, you know, what Cronin told us all the time, if the other team can't score, they can't win. Yeah. Uh, so I, I take that mindset with me. I also take the mindset of, of having pride when you play defense. Uh, you you got to be ready to work every day. Uh, but that, that's the mindset change for a lot of kids nowadays because it's, it's a different, you know, kids are a little different growing up nowadays. No question. So just having the mindset of just trying to change the way how they, how they look at things, but also giving them the mindset to have the understanding that I mean well, I understand what I'm saying, and I'm never going to say anything to you that would put you in harm's way or something that I wouldn't do myself. Yeah, and I, I think it's important as a head coach, you have to constantly, in today's generation, you have to constantly communicate with kids. You almost have to over-communicate. I must say, you got to over-communicate because if you just communicate, they, they're just going to go on one ear and out the other. Yep. So, some of my kids, I can <laughs> tell them something one day, and the next day it's like I've never, never said, said it before. It. Ne it, it, was, it was never a conversation. Yep. So I've learned like to have a lot of patience, a now, lot of it. Now let me ask you this. Uh, beyond high school, do you want to stay coaching high school or do you have aspirations of maybe coaching at the collegiate level one day? No. I, oh, so, okay, my first time probably saying publicly. But when I was in, um, in college, I told Cronin, and I mean this, I will end up being one of the best coaches ever. I like ever. that. And, and that's because, I, like, maybe my, my goal wasn't to come to Cincinnati to play basketball. Maybe my goal was to come and be a coach, yeah. and that will be successful for me. And I just feel like I got a lot to give. I got the right mindset for, and I'm really not, I don't get too overly um, into anything. I'm really low-key mindset, even kill. Like, I get it. And like coaching, like how you played. And coaching, that's what it's about. Staying cool, yep. understanding how to switch things, understanding what's going on in the game, and not panicking. And I think I, that's, that's really my strong suit. Yeah. Well, let me ask you some uh, quick questions, quick answers before we finish up okay. here. Uh, my, one of my favorite questions, and I've been asking a lot of former players that have come in this question. It's really off the beaten path. So, would you rather be MJ or MJ in his prime? So follow me on this. Would you rather be Michael Jordan in his prime when he's the biggest global superstar in the world? Or would you rather be Michael Jackson in his prime, the biggest global entertainer, had grown men fainting. Would you rather be Michael Jordan in his prime or Michael Jackson in his prime? I'm gonna, let me tell you what Yancey said. What? Yancey said Michael Jackson. I need to see Yancey moonwalk. I'm going to keep it Michael real. Michael Jackson, really? He said Michael Jackson. Nah, nah, nah. All day I'm going to be Michael Jordan. I don't even think that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> I said all day. But, but in reality, I think I'd be LeBron if I had the chance. There oh, don't say that. Yeah, don't say that. Don't, don't, don't do that to I, me. I knew you wouldn't like don't, that. Don't do that I, to I me. I knew you wouldn't like that. Nope. Nope. Hey. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Now, let me ask you this. So, I think I know the answer to this, but I, I got to ask you this just in case you have something else. What's your favorite moment as a Bearcat? Uh, hitting the game winner uh, versus Georgetown in Madison Square Garden. Uh, President Clinton was there. Uh, Denzel Washington was there. Wow. Uh, Fat Joe, uh, all these rappers was there. Um, what's the guy? Some uh, Syracuse pros, all the alumni. It, it was the best feeling ever. Wow. Nice. Nice. I like that. So um, when you were growing up, who was your basketball idol? Who did you pattern your game after? Uh, Mike Bibby. Mike Bibby. Wow. Why is that? What about his game? Think about the number when I told you 10, right? Yep. So I, was, I loved the way how he played. He was in, in control. He could shoot. Yep. Uh, he could pass. Uh, there, there was really no, no, no empty spot to his game. And it flew under the radar. People didn't really pay no attention. But he was also pretty short. Yep. So I, didn't, I couldn't have an idol that was too tall. That's, yeah. that's an unreachable goal. Yep. So, so Mike Bibby was my guy. I think playing with those, those Kings years, the Sacramento Kings, he's kind of a forgotten guy exactly. because of the Kings years. Right? Yeah, because I guess you've got to play against what? The Lakers. That's what I'm saying. Like they he, never won. Yeah. But I liked him when he was at Arizona. Okay. I think that's when he was the best. Yep. So <laughs> my, my last and final question, if you could pick one teammate that you played with here at Cincinnati with the Bearcats, one teammate that you could take with you to battle. It doesn't matter where you go. It could be a basketball game. It could be uh, chess. It, it doesn't matter what it is. You had one teammate that you know if you take that teammate, I am not going to lose. Who is it? One teammate. Did you say chess? I chess. I just, I, I know, my bad, my bad. <laughs> All right. So, so can we put it in categories, or I got to say one, one, one thing? One guy. One, you got to pick one guy. God. So oh. my guy would be Kenyon Martin. That's my teammate. If I'm going to battle, I'm taking Kenyon. We ain't losing nothing. Nothing. Okay. All right. Well, well I'm going to take Yancey, because I feel like Yancey won't allow me to, uh, he won't allow us to lose. Nice. Uh, he going to push me to make sure I got to do what I got to do. <laughs> So I guess that'll be my person. I, I, I like that. I like that. He said chess. I did. I said. I, I said. I said any any activity. Well, um, Cashmere, let me let me tell you this. Um, on behalf of a lot of Bearcat fans out there, um, your time with the Bearcats during your career here, even though you 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 weren't always healthy like we talked about, you gave it everything on the court. You are a fan favorite, one of the favorite guys to ever play here with the Bearcats. And we want to give you your flowers. Round of applause for number one, Kashmir Wright. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Getting a lot of love, Cash. You see that? I'm not used to that. And you've got, to, you've got to sign this wall of fame over here. Where's the wall at? It's over here. We're going to get you over there in a second. And... I'm sure some people are going to want to take some pictures with you, so we appreciate you. I appreciate you having me. And um, I want to thank all the Bearcat fans out there that have attended the podcast. This is our last regular season game with the podcast. Um, hopefully we'll be able to do some more before the season ends. Uh, but I want to thank you all.
And I want to thank everybody for listening to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats! <laughs>